Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design in Melbourne and I'm with architect Emilio Fuscaldo, director of Nest Architects. You've probably seen Emilio's, uh, his firm's uh, work and houses published extensively. Um, Emilio, welcome to the show. Morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. Emilio, a little bit of background. You worked with a number of architects before starting your own um, firm a few years ago. Yeah, that's right. So I, st I um, finished university and started my um, architectural career with Ian Perkins, and that was a great uh, uh, introduction. He's a, he was a great employer, uh, a number of different sort of... Um, um, projects coming through that office, everything from childcare to to carports. So we had um I had um, um an extensive range of projects to deal with, and lots of different clients. Uh, from him, I moved on to Chris DeCampo, which was uh, a really great experience. Chris and his partner Genevieve, and um, um, at that practice, I learnt how to detail. I mean, uh, working for others and then starting a practice is quite uh, must be quite a challenging prospect must be quite scary really yeah to it start is. on your own because how does it work do you get a few projects that you get wind of that people want to start using you independently how does it work um at the i, I the, the way i started was and i'm not sure if this is typical for everyone but um <clears throat> um i always had a um an idea that i wanted to work for myself uh and so i was always aiming toward that goal and uh, toward the end of my time at, with Chris and Genevieve at uh, Campos um, I, I just did a very small project on the side um, and um, I, that gave me the confidence to think. What was it, a house? Yeah, or? just a little renovation and uh, that and um, combined with the experience I was getting with Chris and Genevieve I thought to myself, well why not give it a go? If I give it a go for a year um, and don't you know, don't put any resources into it, really. Just just run it off the smell of an oily rag. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. I'll, I'll go back and get a job. I've got that experience and that'll come in handy, I'm sure, for another employer. So I, I took it year by year and um, that's the way I've managed my practice. So it's baby steps, yeah. uh, no big um, investments in infrastructure, working off the smell of an oily rag, trying to make it very small. And um, I think that's reflected in our work too. Attention to detail. Yeah, and being uh, understanding that um, uh, our clients, and we get some projects with big budgets, but we never want to, uh, we never take it for granted. And I think that's the same with the practice. We don't take the fact that you know, the practice exists for granted. I always feel like tomorrow we could close our doors, and, <laughs> and that would be that. One of the houses that I'd say made a fairly big impression on um, on people and also I'm sure it, it helped your career along was a house in George Street in Fitzroy which was quite an interesting project because it was basically a historic um, house from a villa uh, from late 19th century and then it was the owners wanted to renovate it and then almost overnight it was squatters got in and and you had problems. Yeah, well, that house on George Street uh, was very familiar to long-term residents of George Street. Um, not only um, does it have an interesting footprint in that it's well set back from the street, and it, all other houses are set on the street, so it had this big setback, so it was very visible. Um, and 
um, it was left to squatters for a long time. So in the front yard of that house, you'd always find overgrown vegetation and the odd car once in a while and stuff like that. So it was very familiar to the residents. Uh, when um, the clients um, got that house and contacted me, uh, I was at the auction and... Um, you had to walk around that house. There was a big sign on the door that said, at your own risk. And there was, <laughs> there was squatters still in there. So it was a, a bit of a dangerous prospect. Um, I felt a real responsibility to keep this house intact to some extent because the memory of that house is so important for the area. And if you look around the area, you see that the development is changing that suburb somewhat from its worker um, nondescript roots to a gentrified, um, um, you know, flashy sort of future. Mm. So I really wanted to make sure that this house represented the old Fitzroy, but at the same time provided these clients with a lovely place to live. So the original uh, villa, unfortunately, that, I mean, fortunately that was saved after the fire, but the rest came off. Yeah, that's right. So the, the original, the original house. Well, it was an original stable for a house up the road, and then William Candy bought this house in the um, in the early 1900s and added the the facade on the left as you're looking to it, looking at it from the street, and turned it into a house. Um, and um, he was a stonemason at the Melbourne Cemetery, so through the house and on the facade and in the garden were beautiful um, um, hand sculpted reliefs uh, we found uh, garden edging with the lord's prayer um How lovely and this was just sort of thrown around the garden and discarded so it was lovely to find do this sort of archaeological do you feel that, i mean one thing i'd probably say with people like yourself there's a few working in the same way others don't i mean a lot of architects come and they just think it's a site it's time for me to make an expression you would probably be in a small group of architects who approach sites as if they are an archaeological dig. Mm, well, I think there's a lot to be gained and garnered from the site and from the existing house. So uh, the existing the existing house comes packed with memory and a narrative and a, and a story of its past. And I think architects, as architects, we're here to just allow that story to evolve into a new aspect and a new life. I don't think that story needs to be stopped and started again and a new story told. So um, it's always interesting to look at an older house and uncover what's essential, what's essential about it and try and bring that out through the design. And it's a really enjoyable aspect. And, and in my practice, I, I mean, I don't pretend to get ideas you know, as I'm no genius, so ideas don't come to me. I need the site, I need my clients, and I need the sort of collaborative approach um, to get the ideas and 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 work on the house. So for this house, it's a contemporary timber-clad um, extension, two-story that's kind of tucked behind the original parapet. So you don't, you're not particularly aware of a new addition. What was the most challenging thing for that house? Because uh, they wanted a, a big house in a sense. Yeah, I think the brief was the most challenging thing because um, um, not only did they, they have a two young, a young family, two girls growing up, uh, they had family that comes and visits from regional Victoria um, and they have lots of friends staying over, including myself who spent three months there whilst I was building my own home. So um, it's 
they're very accommodating and lovely, lovely people. So the house wanted to be an expression of that. So the brief was very big. The budget wasn't very big. So there was that uh, typical scenario of how what how do you make those two things fit? Um, the other aspect was I really wanted to do a design that didn't rely on a thousand different materials or the over articulation of form. I didn't want to have for instance, the first floor cantilevering the ground floor, and then that's the that's the wow of the house. I wanted to make something that was very flat and subtle, um, and that the rear facade, which is a timber uh, timber post and beam design with glazing through it, is an attempt to make c contemporary architecture, but but without using form as expression, mm. using materials and using the interiors of the house to give the exterior of the house its mm. character. I think what's particularly nice about the Fitzroy house is when you go through it uh, is how how the owner's objects and artefacts fit into the space. It feels like it's their place. Mm. It's not a showpiece. Mm. It's about them. And you've obviously picked up what they wanted yeah, well, both of the, the clients are very driven by design and, and, you know, I don't pretend that this project was all about me. This was very collaborative and they had a big hand in it and I'm very thankful that they did. I was very young in my career at that point and still am. Um, with their objects and their furniture, I think it would be very easy to make very blank spaces and let their objects and... and, and, and and furniture fill it up and become this showpiece of style and it is very stylish but what we what I tried to do was um, give the house its own identity as well just in case the next owner comes in and they don't have all that flashy furniture and objects that they can still have this beautiful house and they can put their nondescript couch in there and it still works for them so the house itself has its own identity. Amelia you've worked on a lot of other projects you won an award for um was it Allman College? Yeah, that's right. So um, we this year we won the Kevin Borland um, Award for Small Projects and um, then we won a national award as well. Uh, it's a really interesting project. It's um, at Allman College. It's a residential building designed by Romberg. Romberg Frederick Romberg. Yeah. Romberg got very sick during the uh, project. And... Um, and uh, um, oh, it escapes me, but it was um, Boyd who took it over and he essentially put the roof form on, which is this Akubra hat. So he put this Akubra hat on top. In the roof space, um, the college identified that there was room up there not being used and they wanted to put students up there. So they gave us the task of putting five rooms and some uh, communal spaces up mm. there for students. And it was uh, a real challenge from all aspects, from services, fire, disability. Um, heritage. Heritage. Although I must say that um, 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 Vic heritage office is incredibly accommodating and wonderful to work with. My two experiences with them have been uh, incredible as opposed to the local councils who don't um, quite get it. Don't quite get it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so that project was uh, uh, was a real eye-opener for us um, just in terms of the amount of other people that needed to be involved and also working with a college um, who are very progressive um, 
and very um, open to new ideas. So it was a real, it was lovely for us. So we created these rooms with mezzanines and ladders, and and the idea was, how do we get as much into a room? Because they'd be in pretty small. small. Space. Yeah. I mean, how big they're? They're twelve be? square meters. That's amazing. It's tiny. It's probably smaller than this recording studio. That's amazing. Been. So it's really just enough room for a bed. That's right. Um, um, and the typical format at college is that they give you, they give their students a um, four walls ceiling and floor and there you go you go for it and we we sort of backtracked all that and thought no let's be very dictatorial to these students so let's not give them complete freedom to do whatever they want in their room and fill it up with junk let's make sure that it's got enough storage enough desk space somewhere to brush your teeth somewhere to sleep somewhere to store your stuff and then just give it enough individuality so that they can identify the room as their own so um sort of went against the grain a little bit of of um, giving the students freedom, but we thought it was important. So, so basically, kitchen sink extends to become the work, you know, a, a study table, yeah, as well right. as a place to prepare meals. That's right, and who knows what else happens on those tables? So um, <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> so it's um it's about being very subtle with materials to demarcate space, but and 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 the challenge of using different materials and making sure that they're robust, but at the same time have a character and an identity about them that that conforms to this building, which is about uh, it was done in the '60s, and it needs to be. Uh, you know, our work needed to reflect the optimism of that era of architecture. One house that particularly, um, which got quite a lot of publicity, and I, th- I thought it was a very strong project, um, was a house in Baldwin uh, that's really just joyous. Um, it's an early 1960s house. I can't remember who the architect was originally. He was um, not someone, you know, a big name like Romberg or um, Robin Boyd, but it's a very, um, very simple um, brick house in Bourne, and you've really given it a contemporary twist while still paying homage to the um, the period. Tell us, a, a, tell me a, a little bit about that project, Emilio. It's... Sure. Well, our client came to us with this cream brick house with a front yard that was a desert looked like something from Alice Springs and the backyard was similarly disused and the house had lovely, lovely details inside, lovely built-in joinery and um, had lots of lovely spaces as well, beautiful sunrooms and and lots of living areas. But at the same time, it wasn't accommodating their growing family. They said to me, look, we need this amount of space, uh, but one of the things we need, the challenge here is to allow our family to interact with the outside. We want our kids to play outside a bit more than what they do. So the big, the structure we added onto the back was um, a, um, it was, it was all about allowing the bedrooms to be quite small and dark with these enormous doors that led onto a lovely playroom that led onto a paved area that led onto the grass and then finally ended up on the in-ground trampoline so the trampoline was a magnet and sort of pulled these the children out and you know i'm not saying that we've changed their lives or anything but the kids play outside once in a while and i i I think that's a win um it's also an interesting house that the transition between the original home and the new part is joined by this very uh sculptured timber battened ceiling 
it's almost quite wave-like and that kind of draws you through the place yeah that was a really fun moment for us um i'll just go back a step what we learned in that in the george street house was that um the simple tactic of a new thing attached to an old thing is i find very boring um it's appropriate in some in some um examples but in my work i try to merge the new and the old and in this project it would have been very easy just to clamp the new and old together and have a very definite definition between the two but um much more uh, much more interesting way to go about it is how do you link it and how do you draw someone through the house and have them think about the new space in a way that is simply just an evolution of the older spaces so they're not hit over the head with new and well old. it's interesting because i'm just doing a story at the moment <laughs> which is exactly that because mm. the barra charter basically says there has to be clear division between the mm. old and the new and mm. so you can clearly tell where one begins and one ends mm. and i feel that that approach is becoming it's a very jarring sensation mm. where is it likely that the Barrow Charter will relax its rules or they have to rethink what I think, they're doing? No, I think it needs to rethink the way it's understanding this, the, the, the new and the old because I think what it's trying to do is have a clear, obviously a clear delineation. So you look at something and you say, well, that's the old thing, here's the new thing, and I sort of get what's happening. But um, there doesn't have to, there shouldn't have to be a breathing space in between, like a, a glass pavilion to say right. you are now moving into a different world. That's right. And you know what? People are very smart and sophisticated. And, and if, if you're going to spend 25 years in a house, do you, do you have to be hit over the head every day with new and old? Like it's a very boring thing and tedious thing to, to mm-hmm. encounter in your everyday experience. It's much more interesting to walk through spaces. And I like to think of the new and the old as being a very thick threshold. And thresholds are lovely spaces where lots of new things can happen. Because it's not a room, but it's not a corridor. So, so this inter, inter... I hate this word, but it's sort of an interstitial space, an in-between space. Yes. I think it's something that has been gurgling for a while now. Because most people just... And look, I've been espousing it as much as anyone else, that there's clear definition between old and new. But when you see just a glass box tacked on to an old house, it doesn't leave you with very much. No, and it doesn't leave much to the imagination Mm. either. I I really think it's a bit of a one-trick pony. But, you know, lots of architects do, and I don't want to be disparaging against that sort of design. We've done it too, and there are places where that's appropriate. But in this project, I thought it was because the... The, the 50s, 60s element of this house was so strong and so lovely that it would have, that it was just so, it was some, such a simple idea to think, well, let's just bring this through, let's extend it through and give it a new lease on life. If we look at the kitchen, the owner was particularly brave in the kitchen because it's obviously a contemporary new kitchen, but the colours are very bold and it has a very strong 50s. I feel there's fuchsia pink cupboards, turquoise, all put together, laminates. It's it's seriously good fun, and that must have been a joyous time. She's an interior designer. The yeah, that's right. She was an interior designer, and they're both fanatical about mid-century design. So they didn't they didn't want a spaceship landing on their block of land. They wanted something sympathetic. So when we were doing the kitchen and the rest of the but some other elements as well, once again, we relied on our clients to engage in a collaborative process with us and we actually gave them we didn't give them but we said to them go and pick the colors and show us and we'll Mm. work together and there was a point where they showed us the colors for the kitchen and and we sat around the table and i said 
Well, are we in? Are we shaking hands on this? Because I've got no idea how this is going to turn out. You don't really know either. No, that was so... Are we going to give it a go? (laughs) (laughs) Those are so delightful. We can mention the interior designer. Of course. It's... Uh, uh, Louise McIntosh. Louise McIntosh. And I remember speaking to her and she said, look, I don't know if this will work either. Mm, That's right. It was so fresh. She said, look, it's kind of brave new territory for me. That's right. I don't know. And the the point was that it was so simple and designed in such a way that if, say, the... the red fuchsia panels didn't work. I mean, a few hundred dollars later, and you and you get something else put on there, right? So, Emily, do you how do you th- see people's taste shifting? Do you think people are becoming more adventurous, or, or with your clients, or are they holding back and more interested in resale than actually having a great life? <laughs> uh, it's it's an interesting point. I mean, um, when a, when someone approaches my practice. We go through a process of interviewing them as much as they're interviewing us. And one of the standard questions we say is, you know, are you here for five years? You're going to flip it, or are you here for 25 years? Because if you if you want to sell it, you're going to lose money using us. So um, our clients tend to want to stay in the house for a long time. So the resale aspect isn't too um, important for them. Um, are they becoming more adventurous? I think at the start of the project, clients are very adventurous. They want to do something different and they want to explore new territory and use colours. I think as the project evolves, I think they get more and more conservative. I mean, they're dishing out a lot of money and they're seeing the structure go up and uh, they're probably getting lots of feedback from other people. And they but it's t- too late to change direction once the... Well, it is too late to change, but if a client is... There's only so much you can push a client into a position if they want. If, they, if they're getting nervous and want to pull back on the design, on the fittings or the fixtures or the colours, then you need to... T- unless you can really talk them into it and be adventurous with them, you have to be... Uh, you have to be open that this is their house. <laughs> it's not yours. So um, through the process, they can get conservative. And a lot of clients, you can walk them through and at the end, they'll be very happy and satisfied. And other clients are very happy that they became restrained because they understood that perhaps being that adventurous wasn't really yeah. what they wanted. And it's their house, after all. It's their and house. If, they're, if they're fairly conservative... That's right. And they're not going to feel comfortable with... That's right. ...certain things, then... As our, my practice grows and I get more confidence, uh, um, I'm finding I have the ability to be able to manage the client's expectations and and make sure that they're happy to go along with us for the ride. <laughs> Amelia, look, thanks so much for coming in today. Uh, uh, it's been a pleasure. No, I've, for I've me. enjoyed writing about a lot of your projects over the years. And um, look, I think what I enjoy about the work, it there is something uh, of the past, but it's also unexpected. I think that's the pleasure of architecture. There's not a formula involved. Mm. And I think that's the joy. And when I saw the Vaughan House... I just lit up. I mean, I just thought that was so much fun. Mm. And I thought, how brave. Mm. <laughs> I was wonderful. <laughs> Naive, perhaps, but yeah. Well, it, it wasn't. Was... I thought it was, and it was a lovely interpretation mm. of that period, but mm. not being too close to it. You know, it was kind of a step step from it. So, look, thanks so much for coming in. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design, RMIT University. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>